Hello. You're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. All right, Matt, I appreciate you coming back. Hey, thanks for having me again. <laughs> Let's see if we go another two and a half hours. Yeah, huh? man. Uh, oh, well, uh, pull me off the floor if that happened. <laughs> Not here under the greatest circumstances. The A's kind of took it on the chin. They did, unfortunately. I would have liked to have seen them do better. I love the hats. You and I, you and I being A's fans, would have liked to have uh, thought they would have done a little better. But they did win a series, so onwards and upwards. They did. They keep winning one more series every year. Then we'll get there in a couple years, right? <laughs> uh, I posted online after the show. I was so depressed. I was, getting, of course, I was getting slammed by people that were just let me have it. That's sure. fine. It's, it's, it's part. It's part of the good-natured ribbing of sports teams. But it's this team has been breaking my heart in the postseason for so many years. I don't know any better. <laughs> 1989 yeah. was a long time ago. It's a long. It? <laughs> well, think about Pittsburgh. It's 79, right? That's true. So that That's was true. my comeback to one of the Pirates. <laughs> Pirates. One guy goes, you know now. You know how I feel. It's a pirate fan. I go, uh, no, I don't. Not quite. We we watch winning little, baseball out there. Little, I don't know what little, you want. A little different. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a couple different areas I'd like to go with you on. Uh, we're you know we don't generally don't do politics on this show, and I love that. Yes. Um, we're not going to send you down that rabbit hole. I wouldn't do that to you. But around the subject of politics, from an informational standpoint, about things that voters consider. And one of the things that we end up considering is who we're going to vote for, or what party we're going to be affiliated, or what our philosophy is, is economics. And it's confusing to 99% of the population. I don't need to tell you that. And that's your area of expertise. Can we, before we get into um, some other things, probably some more fun things, sports related, can we talk about the basic definition as it's being used in politics today for socialism versus capitalism sure so part of the problem with those words is people are just starting to use them as as they want them to mean for whatever purpose they're talking about so a lot of times whenever you see someone um denigrating capitalism or capitalists or this is what you get with capitalism um usually it's some uh inequity that they don't like income inequity something like that um or they see a and this would be incorrectly using it but um, they would see like a business get bailed out by government. They say, oh, see, this is what you get with capitalism. And, you know, that's not capitalism. And, right, but, right. you know, people, no one's concerned about being right anymore. People are concerned just having the loudest bullhorn and just, you know, how loud can I bemoan something? I know I can get a lot of people on my side if I bemoan capitalism. So let's just attribute everything bad that we don't like with society or the economy or whatever mm-hmm. to capitalism. And people on the other side are just as guilty as well, right? Any sort of program that involves the government whatsoever, right? Uh, we should have the government um, uh, provide a stimulus for the coronavirus, whatever. Like some people are arguing that, oh, that's socialism, that's socialism, that's socialism. And, you know, it's what those words have become these days are just, if it's more government, it's socialism. If it's any outcome we don't like, it's capitalism. Yeah, it's a big bucket just to toss, toss issues into. Right. And I mean... I, I don't have any examples right offhand, but I'm sure if we looked long enough, you could probably have two sides looking at the exact same issue and one of them accusing it of being that's what you get with socialism and that's what you get with capitalism. Like two people arguing about the exact same thing from mm-hmm. different sides because it doesn't matter. Correct doesn't matter anymore. 
-hmm. right? It's just how loud can I be? What buzzwords can I throw out there to try and stir up the base and then get as many people on my side as I can politics-wise to try and do what I want to do? Okay, so if we're going to look at the words realistically, yes, th we are built on a capitalistic system in this country. Generally, yes. Generally. the Relying on markets, limited government, uh, generally viewed as kind of protecting property rights. Okay. Um, and just minimal, you know, minimal regulation, minimal state involvement, minimal, just minimal government, really, is kind of where capitalism is. It's not that there's zero role for government, it's that there's a very minimal role for government. Mm so protecting property rights and regulatory necessary regulatory no i even that might be a step too far away from okay. kind of a pure capitalist kind of idea okay um doesn't government just go 180 though compared to what the concept of capitalism is government is a is an expense it's like a ledger sheet it's an expense right yeah i mean it should just be there as a support of markets not an augmentation of markets not okay. a, not a a replacement of markets it should be there to to support the marketplace and 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 no, nothing beyond that. Okay. And that's obviously the crux of the problem, though, because... Oh, it's far, far beyond that. But in, yeah. if, if we think of it in kind of, you know, what what if we have this idealized version of it, that's that's where I would, I would, I would put that definition. Okay. When someone says free markets, you, you, it's, it's, a, it's a triggering point because that's the word, because the word free is attached to it. Um, it gets bastardized a lot. What is actually free market? The concept of free market, what does it mean in terms of economics? Yeah, so in my mind, it's going to be, you know, free entry into a market, free exit from a market. Um, we're not supporting failing industries. Um, we're allowing people to transact as they see fit um, and just kind of letting individuals um, handle their own, you know, both on the supply side and the demand side, kind of handle their own affairs. and Laissez-faire concept? Yeah, yeah, you know, just... Uh, Free markets meaning no barriers kind of put up, no artificial barriers from from the state. Have we ever had that in this country? Uh, no. I mean, no. so the experiment really never has never been right. Tried. I mean, and and so that's what a lot of people like to argue um, about socialism too. So they'll say, um, well, look at um, socialism. Look at North Korea. Look at um, the USSR. You know, look at these handful of countries that have tried this, and you know, ultimately, you know, look at the suffering and the and the poverty and the starvation and all of that that comes along with it and people say no nah, that wasn't real socialism which by the book okay that's that's not an incorrect statement to make okay but it certainly is as close to the experiment as possible but then you could also make the same argument about capitalism we've never tried pure unfettered capitalism but nevertheless we see these different economies different economic models that fall on a spectrum right this is what i generally tell the students in classes we haven't got all the way to the end point of capitalism. We haven't got all the way to the end point of socialism, but we can kind of, if we had to, put all these different economies on a spectrum between the two, and some are going to be more towards socialism, some are going to be more towards capitalism, and there's a pretty clear pattern that emerges. Okay, um, so that, that spectrum is there. Who, what country wins in terms of having the most capitalism? So there is, um, there's a handful of rankings that people do um, that look at economic freedom rankings. Oh, so the Heritage Foundation freedom. does one. The one I like the most is going to be, um, it's called the Economic Freedom of the World. It's done by the Fraser Institute out of, I think they're in Vancouver, okay. Canada. And they do rankings um, every year of, you know, one to oh, 160 or something like that. They don't quite have all the countries, but they've got most of them. And up near the top, um, usually, I don't know right offhand, but up near the top, the usual suspects, Singapore is up there, Hong Kong is up there, New Zealand is really? up there. Yeah. It's called freetheworld.org.com. 
one of those. Those are countries I would not have come to mind. Yeah, and they've got a very clear methodology. There's five different subject areas, and um, it's it's pretty it's it's data driven, and they don't sit down in a group and say, "Well, looks like Singapore had a good year. Let's stick them up at the top." They have, you know, you can go dig into the methodology um, in the index, and it's you know, uh, you know, you get. This that's on a scale of one to ten, so ten the highest and one's the lowest. And so, you know, in these particular categories, if your top marginal tax rates between you know this and this, you get this many points. If it's between here and here, I mean, they they do it as objective as they can. It's impressive. Yeah, New Zealand's up there. New Zealand, yeah, I I think the third or fourth. (laughs) My friend Bob Lawson is the one he does this, and a guy I went to grad school, Josh Hall, does this as well. Okay, and so they're way way deep in this stuff and they're the experts on it and so i don't want to misquote any numbers no, it's okay they'll, they'll call me and they'll say, stop saying bad things so check out the website's what i'll say Is it, when you say freest capitalism what are you referring to or the free most freedom in capitalism so it's it's looking at economic freedom so they've got their whole spiel i should have read it before i came here if not that's I'm okay here no, talking no, that's about all right that's all right um, you know, freedom to transact, freedom to interact with other individuals, freedom okay. to trade internationally. They've got five different categories, okay. and they've got their blurb. It's written beautifully. I'm okay. not doing it enough justice. Well, well I think that's <laughs> funny, though, because if you asked the average man on the street and you presented that to them, they would absolutely say, oh, well, we're, we have to be the, the number one capitalist country in the world or the number one. We have more freedom here than anywhere. But when you're talking specifically about freedom in capitalism, it's just or freedom to free, conduct capitalism. To, to transact in the marketplace right, right right that's interesting that we're not at the top of that list we're in the top 10 i believe um we had dropped down um a couple years back and now i think they, they lag it by a couple years so i think the most recent one should be coming out this fall it would be probably for like the year 2018 i think okay. so it's they kind of takes them a year or two to get all the data but yeah i think we're in, i think last year's we were in the number eight again I'm, <laughs> i no, think, no, I think we're okay. top 10 pretty that's sure okay. it was top 10 though I, but those two words, going back to when I was a child, just just hearing socialism, capitalism, and, yeah. and like linchpin words that really got bastardized badly. I mean, the actual pl- economic debate that took place on this idea of capitalism versus socialism has been settled for a very long time. I mean, no one's of, of any academic, you know, heft in economics is arguing for a socialist system. Right. But now these words have have come back out, and now they're. I mean slings and arrows of of the political discourse now so on that spectrum if socialism was was here and capitalism was here what lies in the middle of that i I mean you know if we're thinking that idealized capitalist version of a very very minimal government and you know government not doing very much what we have in reality is you know we have countries where there's welfare programs and there are um labor regulations and there are tariffs and restrictions, international trade. There's just, you know, the the re- I'm not saying any of those are desirable, but that's the reality of the different governments and economies that we have okay. around the world. And that's, you know, that's kind of where they lie in between. And, you know, I, I also am clear in class. There's a lot of different dimensions to, you know, freedom and the economy. We're really trying to just force feed this onto a single dimension here. And we acknowledge that's not that it's a useful and that's not that it's a useless endeavor to do that okay but you know just realize you know we <laughs> the world's a complex place mm-hmm. sticking it all in just one line is we're gonna miss a few things along the way yeah, no but question. still but still we could we could we could still learn from it um it, i think <clears throat> uh, politicians in general are it's a it's part of their platform i went before this show and i looked for the democratic platform for the, the dnc's platform for 2020 i found it 
92 pages later. <laughs> Republican Party did not put a platform. Were you huh. aware of that? No. They did not. I really try to stay out of politics as no, best no. I can. Well, no, I, I'm only looking for economic reasons. Only, you know, I, I really thought I would dive into these two and have some nuggets of differentials to oh, present here today. Just the economic part of that platform. Sure. And it was uh, the Democratic platform, the economic portion was so generalized. I was expecting so much more in terms of bite there, in terms of but, I mean, definitive if, view. If you're, if, you're, if you're putting something out like that and you're specific, then that gives your opponent something to come directly back at you with. If you just speak in these broad platitudes that don't mean anything. Or you don't have anything written. Maybe not, right. Then what do they, what do they come after you with, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just I I I wish, I wish, I I wish politics weren't like that. But I don't know what I'd want politics to be like. You know, it's just it's it's it's, interesting point. I would think that if people are interested in voting and selecting who they want their leader to be, which is great, democracy is a very good thing for that, right? You know, you would you would like to think that it would be very clear and very plain, and and people could be. You know, here's what I would plan to do, and then we could talk about that. And maybe More we pragmatic could too. Disagree, but yeah. that's what I plan to do. And yeah. if enough people like me, then maybe that's what we'll do, and people will play nice. But that's those days. Okay, <laughs> those days are in the past. Right, well, let's turn it to the sports for a second. Um, if I can get these lights to settle down, if I can, we're gonna have an epileptic fit over here. <laughs> Holy smoking! They're on battery. Go figure, right? Um, <laughs> maybe your uh, lava lamps are ruining. The it could be, but the lava lamps are actually plugged into the wall. I mean, okay. I, I, I don't know. There's better people with electricity than me. Trust me. You don't, you don't want me trying to change it is electrical a lot of lights. It's <laughs> yeah. Impressive Thank you. Um, I, I want to talk about what the pandemic has meant for Major League Baseball and the other major sports teams in general, economically. We'll get to that. But in doing some background on, on your work, I, I, we, I mentioned off camera, we, I came across a uh, presentation you did. Uh, a narrative presentation sure. on the Olympics, and it was dated in 2014. Okay, and it was kind of echoing what I've always wondered: is these cities across the globe every four years really lo- four years in advance? I believe that's how it's done. They uh, award it four years in advance. I, or well, I think it's more, I think it's I think it's six. Okay, yeah, they really jockey for position to get the Olympics, and then once they get it, they have this spectacle. There's supposed to be all this economic. Um, benefit, but the, the observer, the stadiums go bad. They get overgrown with weeds and yeah. grass, and and, and it's in blight. And it makes for interesting photography. But outside of that, how is that model serving the host cities long term? Right. You, I was as like you said, we talked about this a little bit before we started here, but the you, there's all these different areas. This is the best way I can describe it. Okay. So those different areas in economics, like different. So I teach international economics this fall, and I teach sports economics in the spring. And there's labor economics, and public economics, and health economics. And there's mm-hmm. all these different areas, and there's all these kind of important questions or topics that are that are looked at in these areas. And one thing that I would attribute sports economics is still a pretty young field, to be honest with you. Okay. And one big victory I would attribute to that field, and I don't know how much of it can be attributed directly to, to sports economics, but nevertheless, I think we've finally gotten to a point where. It's no longer let's host the Olympics at all costs and off we go. Um, There was a remarkable thing um, when I think they were awarding either the Rio Olympics or the Tokyo Olympics. This happened several years ago where 
um, let's say it was Tokyo. So we had Tokyo and Tokyo was going against, I'd have to look, maybe it was Paris. I know they were in the running. Um, Tokyo, Paris, and Budapest was actually the third one that was in the running there. And there was a referendum that took place in Budapest where the general public voted to remove their bid to host the Olympics. Because I think people fantastically are starting to understand that these are really, really, really costly events that have very dubious economic benefits. It's at least net of costs. Yeah, but it was so much uh, media attention anytime the selection process goes on. Yes, but it's amazing how even over the last couple of decades that's changed. I remember the huge... huge party when Atlanta got awarded the Olympics. Yes. I remember um, I remember flying at one point to um, Sun Valley in Idaho and flying through Salt Lake City and seeing in the airport there all of the memorabilia for the O2. Remember they hosted the Olympics. Uh, the winner, the winner right, right. The winner, the winner right. Olympics. So, yeah, right. you know, what it seems the general lay of the land now, because uh, I get asked this occasionally, like where do you see, you know, we, we seem to be past the point of let's pick a city, maybe an up and coming city, maybe an established city, and let's just spend $50 billion and host the Olympics. Like that seems, hopefully that's kind of gone by the wayside. People still seem to want Olympics where I think we're probably going to end up is probably rotating between cities, like, um, like a handful of cities. Like maybe we rotate between uh, like Los Angeles and London and Tokyo and Paris, I don't know, whatever. Like we rotate between like a number of cities. The infrastructure is already there. We're not going to be building new stadiums every single time. We're just mm-hmm. going to kind of have it be, you know, people seem to want to have the Olympics. People seem to like the Olympics. Sure. Um, but they don't like the public finance aspect of it. And for good reason. I mean, it's really very expensive yeah, to I don't... build these things. I mean, who mm-hmm. needs a, I mean, they build a freaking velodrome for mm-hmm. two days of races. Now you're stuck with a velodrome. Like who? Nothing against velodromes, but why? Why are we doing and this? And how I get abandoned over time? Yeah, it was the. Um, in my opinion, it was really the Athens Olympics that kind of set people down the path of maybe, you know, the internet was you know social media, and so the stuff was maybe just starting to go around there. Maybe just the timing was right, but right. all of those, um, all those venues in Athens, I mean, you could just Google Athens Olympic venues, you know, dilapidated or something. They'll pop right up. It's amazing. I mean, the pictures, uh, there have been a lot of exposés on that. They're just softball fields. I mean, they're just crumbled. It's just all, you know, and that, that's a country that's not exactly in like, <laughs> not exactly like AAA rated, like finance wise <laughs> with so. regards to, um, you How know, many times their, can their they go finances. bankrupt? <laughs> they're, 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 they're pressing that record there. So. Yeah, you know, you've, you know, obviously that was the birthplace of the modern Olympics right. and the ancient Olympics too. And, you know, so there is this kind of sentimentality to want to have it back there. I think they wanted to initially have it in 1996 for the 100 year anniversary. I guess they didn't get their stuff together. Maybe they were bankrupt at the time. Okay. Um, so they had it in 2004. There was this big sentimentality to want to have it back in Athens and just independent of economics and finance. You know, I understand the sentimentality of that. That's makes sense. Be kind of cool just from a straight sports perspective, but boy, it's very, very costly. And that's not a country that could absorb that. The interesting part about it is, couldn't we have had the Olympics in cities that already had these structures? That's where I think they're going with this. Prior built, though. Right. Well, I mean, so they awarded, what was it, Los Angeles in 20, is it 28 or 24 for them? 24, I thought it was. Because they did them in Paris. Right. Anyway, it's one one or the other. And, you know, a big reason was they're going to just use the 
Coliseum? I don't think they're, I think they're using the new football stadium that just got built. But okay. nevertheless, there's a lot of stuff that's down there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or they can kind of repurpose things, you know, go do beach volleyball out at the beaches out there and you can do golf you know there's golf courses all over there well, that happens golf. in the states though but you're mentioning some of the other countries that have like put outlandish amounts of right. infrastructure up that vote in hungary though to withdraw their bid because the public thought it would be too expensive is a remarkable moment to me uh-huh. that pushback it, it's that's and i i don't know i i would imagine there's a big public you know push against as there are all things politics but to have a referendum and have the public say we don't want the olympics here Mm -hmm. because it's too costly Mm -hmm. usually people are generally pretty numb to the cost of things and can see the benefits of it that's a remarkable outcome to me to be honest with you what year was calgary had the winter olympics do you remember 88 i think okay it goes all the way back so i was in calgary in 2002 with my family and hopefully not in the winter Mm. Mm. No, it's in fall. <laughs> I gave a talk in Montreal. I gave a talk in, I a talk in Montreal in February once. I don't know how I, so you get it. Was, that was cold. But, but I remember being on their back porch, and they have a beautiful, beautiful home Look, overlooking this valley and then this hillside. Geographically, I don't know where I was, but I saw this massive ski ramp at the top of this mountain in the distance. And I remember asking my great aunt, I said, you know, is that a big resort up there? And she goes, oh, no, that's just the uh, Olympic um, ski lift or ski ramp. For the and ski said, jump, probably. Yeah. I go, yeah, ski jump. Excuse right, me. Right, and right, I'm right. like, uh, you see how often I watch that stuff. <laughs> Once every four years. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> the, expensive, the expensive Olympics, yes. Right. <laughs> and so that was from 88, and it still was sitting there not being used. Yeah. Have you been to the top of one of those? I went when I was in Salt Lake City doing something. They took us up to Park City for this, and we went stood at the top. Horrifying. I just who was the first person that ever did that? I don't know. Like wow, it's who decided. I'm not to a do big that. fan of heights anyway. I'm not either so, at all. But it's nuts. They had some neat pictures up there to show you from the the view that a camera oh, yeah. person behind them. Yeah. And then, so it's going down, and then all the all the um all the spectators. It was just it was a really neat picture. To oh, see. it's it's terrifying, and I think now with the Olympics, they actually put little cameras on their helmets or whatever. Oh, I'm they, sure yeah, they do. And they insane. get that camera at the uh, at the bottom too, and like whizzing by before they take off. Well, speaking of that, did you see the camera on the, on the bases in Major League Baseball? Yes, yes. They've been doing that for a couple of years though, haven't they? Like, they I only, have not seen. They only that. seem to do it in the playoffs. That's weird. That was a weird angle there. They they had. Maybe it was just during the Homer and Derby a couple years ago, but they had a camera like in the ground right out front of home plate during Homer and Derby. Maybe, Maybe it was even during the All Star game. Wow. Yeah. I like, um, I, I hope Major League Baseball goes with this and I hope they keep going. I loved it when they mic'd up Loriana during the game. Oh, you liked it's it. Great. Okay. It just gives you the insight of it. They can and I mean, too. I, did they do him too? Yeah. I just well, Loriano dropped an f bomb during the game, which was funny. Um, which is fantastic. It's just to be able to I, just the maybe it's just because I mean I love baseball so much, right, and right, right. maybe the casual observer wouldn't value it as much. I'm not a big basketball fan, yeah. but even then, I just to hear the conversation on the court. You never get to hear that or the conversation no. on the field. I think football would be more fascinating. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, there's too many. There's so many people there. Right, you know? right. And my opinion is, excuse me, I think 
you know, they had all these broadcasts where they're piping in crowd noise, you know, the crowd's cheering oh, this and that. Yes. Different places do it in different volumes. Yes, and it's kind of neat to see which places do it better than other. I, I just think it's humorous. But I think they're piping in the crowd noise so you can't hear the players because it's not the, <laughs> you you know, sports and people competing and it's it's not the nicest language. No, it's not. No, it's, <laughs> it's not. not. Not for everybody. They had, um, no, so we just watched the, uh, the Astros and the A's play. Yes. I think they were piping in the actual... Uh, crowd noise from their stadiums when they were the home team. Did you notice that? I and, could, and the public address announcer was the same person. I could believe that. It was really interesting. They played in, was it Dodger Stadium? Is that where the A's yes, played? Because yes. they had the AL teams in the NL stadiums and the NL teams in the AL stadiums because right. they didn't want to have the advantage. Right. But the public address announcer when Oakland was the home team was from the Coliseum. But probably doing it remotely because like the announcers are remote. They're not at the stadium. I know. Even, so, even the television announcers? I think yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Because when the Pirates were doing their game, maybe it's changed in the postseason, but I don't I think, think it, it has. has changed in the postseason. Um, the, the Pirates announcers were doing it from studio. the... Like the... Whatever the studio... Yeah, the studio. Strange times we're living in. It's, but, yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> we were... Um, yeah, we were we were trying every angle we could to try and get ourselves into one of those games, but man, they were really they were locking you it down. Couldn't squeeze one in. Huh? Try we we worked we worked every angle we could. <laughs> we, we thought we might have gotten pretty close, but did you happen to notice though? In a couple of the games I watched, even during the regular season, there were some people like walking in, in sections. There were people in there near the near the end, like the last week or the last <clears throat> series home series maybe for each team. They let some of the family members come okay. because you saw up there at the club level they had some families but so you had so you had the players down there on the on the first level and All then right. you know that little club level they've got there and they had families were were up there kind of one in each section they maybe even had them in luxury boxes i'm not sure but they had them like in, but they were outside sitting um cheering them on and stuff okay so so let's talk a little bit about the the economics of baseball and sure. football and basketball and hockey the four majors and we can add soccer for the rest of the world i don't know what they're doing over there are they playing in empty stadiums as they, we are um yes okay um, though there was um so in in european soccer there is um this thing called the champions league which is where yeah. they basically oh, yeah. in brief they take the best teams from all the leagues and they play them off yeah. and they get like a champion yeah. and then there's also this thing called the europa league which is like a level below that they take so they take like all the best teams and they put them in the champions league then they take like the next best teams and they put them in the europa league okay and i didn't know this like the nit the tournament in basketball yeah so kind of right okay. and the the benefit of the europa because there's really no benefit to the nit but kids get to play but that's fine <laughs> just winning it you're doesn't right. have consequence i didn't mean that snarkily yeah. they're no, just winning it doesn't right. have consequences winning the europa league gets means you get to play automatically in the champions league the next year Got so, it. so there is something to play for Got and it. what i didn't know was to start the year they play the Champions League winner against the Europa League winner to kind of kick off the European season. Okay. I didn't know that, and huh. I thought that was pretty cool. And so yeah, I'm no trying doubt. to think who won the Champions League last year. Oh, I think it was Bayern Munich played against uh, Villarreal. I think it was a Spanish team. But anyway, um, they played that game, and it was in Budapest at their soccer stadium there, the big one. And they had, um, a, a, they had like, I don't know, 10,000 fans of that or something. So I think they temperature screened everybody and wow. they kind of spaced people out. And so that was the first soccer match I'd seen with fans in a while. But no, they've, they've pretty much been doing it fan-free and then piping in the crowd noise. Yeah. What they did, there's, a, there's all sorts of fun articles that are going around on what 
what leagues are doing the best just uh, informally, right? Like what leagues are doing the best job of piping a noise and what ones are doing the worst, just, you know, like a fun five minute read. And I think what I read was some of those premier league teams, the league in England, I think some of those teams took like a bunch of recordings of actual crowd and then somehow synced it with what was going on in the game. And so they've got all these natural game conditions that emerge and they hit a button and they play like a mix of what the crowd did the last time, something That's like that. That's pretty cool. It was cool, just the effort. And it sounded evidently pretty neat because um, sometimes they, some of these places like pipe in like fake fans, like computer generated and it looks weird. I, I know. I know they're trying to do something. I, I get. I kind of get a kick out of it. It doesn't really bother me that much, but. I was surprised they did that at all. I really expected. Major League Baseball, some of those stadiums did. They put in like fake fans and it looks like, it looked pretty choppy. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, they did that. <laughs> I, but it, when the season started, I was surprised that MLB decided to even pipe in fan noise. I was surprised at that. I thought I that we they get wanted a... to get people to not hear the players is what they wanted. Well, I would have loved to have heard that. Even in the middle of plays and communicating would be great. I thought that they'd figure out the technology that we would hear the bat hit the, and we hear the glove, we'd hear the the, the ball hitting the catcher's oh, mitt, but, just but nothing else. Up. But nothing else. No voices. The rest of it would all be silent. Almost oh. like you were walking through a batting practice. Where you, as so a no fan, announcers you could hear, right? Wow. Well, no, no, no. I thought there'd be announcers, but I thought they would would be watching us as essentially a silent game with announcing, okay. with, sure. with like you know for television, and then but you would hear like remedial things about the ball hitting the glove, the ball hitting the bat, just like that emphasizing kind of the actual sounds. Yeah, of the I game. figured they'd they'd figure that out. But when they started pumping in noise, I think they did that more for the players' benefit than they did for television. The players weren't hearing the crowd noise at the games, were they? Wasn't that just over the air? Because I, I don't think the, know. I, I don't, thought they were hearing that. Because the I think the announcer they could hear at the games, but I don't. I thought they just piped in the crowd noise for TV. I'm not That's sure. That's a good point. I didn't. I. Hmm. That's a good point because you wonder if they did pipe it in how with the acoustics, how odd that would probably. Yeah, sound. it would remind me of like. Um, like when the Beatles played at Shea Stadium, didn't they like just have it over the the PA system? <laughs> like they didn't have the it wasn't loud. Right. It was over the PA, right. wasn't it? Yeah, right, 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 right. Now the, the whole season was just incredible to watch. Yes, from from a curiosity standpoint, it was it was interesting. Um, you know, all the the big stories of the week are how much viewership is down. You know, viewership's down like you know a bunch for all these different sports. You know, forty percent for football 40 percent for um actually football is only down about 10 percent, i think but basketball the funnel's down like 40 percent. you know it's really down a lot yeah down a lot there's about 40 yeah 40 percent. yeah and people are trying to they're you know what are some theories for this and could just be um was baseball no nah, i might be getting the numbers wrong it's a big number uh, basketball i know was down 40 percent. that was the that's lead. a big but, number yeah but it's it was you know what could it be are people just you know, is there just too much going on right now? Are people used to just watching the finals in June, not in October? You know, uh, I mean, it could be a lot of things. That could be that could be part of it, right? For basketball, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But hockey, I, I, I mean, there's nothing that was up. I know that. I mean, it was all it was all down. You know, yeah, we talked fairly. last time. Hockey didn't that didn't hockey bother didn't, me. It didn't hockey? I just it really. I've always said that when it comes to watching TV versus live experience, I think hockey's the best sport experience. Or maybe not the best sport experience. It's got the biggest gap between TV and there. You are there. It is. That's fun. It's enjoyable. I mean, I told you, I think last time, you know, I'm a Sharks fan because I grew up yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. I went to the finals game there, the first one they played. Right. 
And it was like, I mean, I was, you know, in the other team's arena wearing my jersey, and it was fine. Everyone was nice to me. Oh, yeah. But it was They're just hockey electric. Fans, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> it was just electric to be there. And I've been to a couple of um, Sharks playoff games, too, back in the Bay Area. And right. it's just, it's 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 a very unique thing in sports. I, I that's It what, doesn't translate to television, though, in terms of the same feeling of being there. It doesn't, but I think when I'm watching playoff hockey in the past, having those fans going nuts was really a part of the experience because we watched it and I think I told you last time it just didn't feel like playoff hockey and I like hockey and it was I, yeah, I watched a little yeah. bit of it but it just didn't feel it just they weren't I just wasn't that I don't know I, we need the fans going nuts in hockey I think for it to work I think all the the four majors need him you know I mean yeah that, basketball I think they got a I don't know. Basketball looks odd to me with this with the seats uh, vinyled over. Yeah. Well, they did that in hockey too, didn't they? Like, yeah, they off. did. It did. They it did, did look weird. Did. I mean, they got to do something with those empty seats. I mean, I guess that's just the decision they made. Football looks weird when they do once in a while catch areas of the fan, and but they have done interesting things with the cameras now to angles to to not purposely show the show first all row of the empty right yeah <laughs> yeah especially like in pittsburgh where the seats are yellow yes you can't miss those right or i think they're even orange in cleveland do you yeah, think they ever because... thought that through do you, you think that was a decision they regret doing making the seats, seats yellow um i mean that's that's such a this city is this city and its colors are, it makes me laugh because the A's are green, cool, and the Giants are black and gold, and like that's fine. And black the New York orange. Giants are blue, and here just everyone's just, you know, that that rapper had the song "Black and Yellow," and it's just like the city. Which they hated like him every... for because he said yellow instead of gold. Oh yes, of course. So, <laughs> uh, do they regret that? No, I think they knew full well what they were going into when they put those yellow seats in there. Well, what was amazing to me was um, when the stadium opened in two thousand. Yeah, think? somewhere around there because it was that in the baseball stadium. I w- didn't live here at the time, but I know there were. A about the same they got set. rid of three rivers. They were they building them both the same, right. roughly the same time. What was interesting to me was, and I didn't think it was a great idea, whether or not it is, I don't know, but it, at the time it didn't look like a great idea because I remember the Steelers fans getting slagged on national television because they would leave early when they were losing. Even <laughs> when they were having a good season, they would leave early. Sure. <laughs> sort of Tommy Maddox era before Ben, of course. But... Steeler fans were notoriously late getting to their seats, okay. almost like an L.A. vibe. Really? And you had all these empty... Yellow seats that are just... <laughs> it was... Like and, a beacon. And to this day, if you pay attention, <laughs> even in the winter when you get a lot of black with overcoats and sure, things, sure, sure. the contrast is really punchy, and it's different. And only at the end of the game in the fourth quarter with the towels waving is it, is it different. But during the game... It's and I've noticed that going to Steeler games, the Steeler, you know, Steeler fans are not always in their seats. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you know, even you drive through the tunnel and the, you know, the stadium's over there to the left, and I mean, you can't miss it. I mean, it is, it is yellow. Yeah, football's <laughs> football's a different, a different. It just looks different without fans there. It's really hard as a fan to watch. So you said, it, so they're oh. they're playing, they're playing home here pretty soon, and they're gonna have some fans there, aren't they? Because I know the governor just said, I think. Well, because high school football games over the weekend, they had some fans that were mm-hmm. there. So I think there are going to be some fans at the Steelers game. Certainly nowhere near full, but they may. Such a strange concept. <laughs> Let's talk about economics for a second because we've completed the baseball season now. And, <laughs> yep. and again, I'm not expecting you to, to quote me exact statistics, but as a fan of baseball, I always thought that these teams were making so much money on TV revenue and licensing alone that – 
the in-game revenue, the attendance revenue is kind of a throwaway. And I would think for the Yankees and teams like that that have really big licensing and TV deals, how much are they really making there? But in just having a discussion with you off camera, it sounds like your understanding is it's some pretty big money that's being missed. Yeah, well, you know, this always comes up with whenever there's like collective bargaining, you know, for like the union contracts and all that stuff. You okay. know, the owners are famous about not revealing you know, their numbers and, you know, saying exactly how much they're making here or there. They keep that very, very close to the vest, which makes the union say, yeah, you're making tons of money. And then the owners say, no, we're not making that much money. And there's never any, any, any. So um, they don't reveal that stuff? No, 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 no. They keep that very close. I mean, they, they will probably say very broad things, but there's no like balance sheet that comes across. No, 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 no. They keep that very close to the vest. And I never thought about that. I mean, TV revenue, as you know, varies quite a bit across, you know, um, markets. The Yankees are going to have a far different contract than the Royals, than the Cubs, than the Braves and the Pirates, right? They're all going to have these different, you know, regional contracts. Major League Baseball has a national contract as a whole, but you've also got these regional ones, right? And that's right. going to vary a lot right. across these different markets. What I've, I mean, it's it's a big, I, I if I had to take a stab at it, and again, don't quote me on the numbers here. I'd say that revenue the, from gate receipts and the concessions and all that jazz that happens during the game and parking, it's it's got to be. I mean, it's twenty five, thirty, thirty five percent, maybe more. I mean, it's it's That's not it's percentage. not insignificant. I wouldn't say it's the majority. And again, it would be great to have actual figures on this to actually know. But those teams were hurting, and and that's why, you know, come next year, I would uh, I would you know I would I would bet you a considerable sum of money that they they all those teams are going to absolutely find a way to get people asses in the seats for 81 games they mm. they just they they need that money they absolutely yeah. need that yeah you know they were just they were hurting this year big time well there's also all the residual benefits the economic benefits to the area somewhat i mean we talk about that in sports econ whether that's actual you know is that actual additional economic activity or are we just displacing it from somewhere else so but for example mm, that's deep okay first, okay first time i taught I think it was the first time I taught sports econ. It was a girl in the class. And we got on this topic of displacement. And she's, you know, I said, are we actually generating new spending here? Or are we just, you know, I have a chunk of entertainment dollars I've allocated. And if the pirates are playing, I'll allocate it to the pirates. And if the pirates aren't playing, I'll go take my kids to the movies. Okay. Or, or what have you, right? And that's, you know, or, or, you know, if the pirates playing, do I do movies and pirates? Am I actually saving less and consuming more and actually generating? Or are we just moving it somewhere else? And she said, man, that's a really good point. She says, I work at American Eagle or whatever, you know, at the clothing store, right? Just working. That's my job on the weekends. Right. And whenever there's Steelers games, she's like, the store is just like empty, you know? So it's just this idea that, you know, the, the pandemic makes it interesting because, you know, people are saving a lot more now. Um, I believe there were figures that came out a couple months ago. I think the national savings rate was eight to 10%, I want to say. Right. Um, and then the pandemic hit and people don't have anything to spend money on. And so that savings rate, and then we're also, you know, um, concerned about their financial well-being savings rate are up now it's 25 close to 30 percent i believe so if that if we take that as the state of the world okay and then all of a sudden sports come back and people revert to eight percent just by virtue of sports that's a that's way too big of a assumption but if it's actual new spending then you could say it's going to be economically beneficial but if it's just transferred from somewhere else um i'm going to go to one or two fewer pirates games this year because um 
uh, the Who are having their final tour and I want to go see them. So I'm going to allocate my money over there. If that's the case, you're not really seeing new spending in the area. Boy, reallocations adds a whole new dimension to that conversation that I would never have thought about. It's yeah, I mean, it's it's part of you know, it's we have a, a unit in sports econ we just do for state and local public finance, which talks about hosting the Olympics, which talks about you know, does it make sense to build a big publicly funded stadium? Does it make sense to try? And no, attract, does, it? <laughs> does it make sense to try and attract um, a franchise to move from another place? So just you know, it's not it's not saying that there couldn't be benefits. It's that we just need to outline the framework under which we can understand those benefits to happen. And if it's just displacement, you know, that that's because, um, you know, a lot of times people talk about that when they host, um, like every three years, Duquesne hosts the NCAA basketball tournament, right? They have it down at um, mm -hmm. PPG. And mm -hmm. um, they always like to come out and say, well, look at how much economic benefit there is to the area. We've got all these people spending money on all these tickets and we've got the restaurants have those people on this and that. It's like, yeah, we'll go to the other side of town where all those people came from and see the money that they're not spending there that they're not deciding to spend down there so it's very very easy um when you do economic analyses or people try to argue for hosting these events or building these stadiums it's very very easy on many margins to overestimate the benefit so the overall takeaway i get from that statement is that because you create this event does not necessarily mean the region is going to see additional funds it's just going to be the existing funds that were going to be spent anyways maybe more re reallocated to your event right and i mean it's you know it's just it's not that the benefit's going to be zero it's just that it's really really easy to overstate it by a bunch there's multipliers that go into it um we have to realize how the much of the town spending revenue though, right? out of town would be something you want to consider so but then there's also going to be money that you spend in that area that go to um let's say you go to the pirates game and you buy yourself a sam adams well, that's not, that's going in our simple little model. That's going to Boston. Mm -hmm. That's not, so there's things that not only people coming out in, people from outside spending money in, that would be money that we didn't get. But there's also people here that are spending money that's going outside of the area too. Got so it. just Got a it. lot of things, just like little check boxes to, to, to check off. But the run of the, the mill is those, those estimates, you know, cause you'll say, oh, you know, we're hosting the Super Bowl and there's going to be, you know, $400 million benefit. Those, those studies um, have, have been pretty soundly. Um, refuted. Wow. Yeah. Something is just missing, though. It, it, the sports are, are great. We need them, and I don't want a city without them or a season without them. Sure. But this form of no fan attendance or, la or the word participation, no sure. fan participation, sure. it really cuts at the core of the event. I didn't think it would... These events, when we're watching them on TV, <clears throat> it's the same players doing the same thing they've done their whole life, and they're really, really good at it, regardless of the sport. I, I didn't, I didn't realize how much of a role fans really play in the production of the product at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just, there's something that's. I love baseball, and I'll keep watching baseball, and I enjoy right. it. But there's just, right. like I said about the hockey playoffs, it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't it. It just wasn't, it wasn't what we've come to know and consume. Mm -hmm. with sports you know we took them for granted you took it for granted the fans were there right right and yeah i mean i certainly miss going to, to games this summer but i never really realized how much of the experience even when watching on tv the fact of having fans there cheering mm -hmm. is and i guess if i had to look forward i would think if if where fans could have a huge impact i'm curious i haven't watched any yet but college football the fans are such a big thing in college football and so I'm not uh, seeing a game yet of you. No, I think I flipped through one maybe last okay. week. But okay. um 
you know, there's there are some locales that are letting some fans in um, and some locales that, that aren't, but it's going to be interesting. I'm sure there's going to be all sorts of studies um, done on, you know, we have this whole year now where we have, you know, events without fans, what sort of concrete, you know, outcome differences do we see? Do our road teams winning a lot more than home, more, oh, more than yeah. they used to yeah, in the yeah, past? Yeah, yeah. Or do yeah. players um, in clutch situations perform better when people aren't, you know, whatever. I mean, there's going to be all sorts of studies that just look at this. You love that stuff. I do. It's interesting. It's interesting to me too. Interesting um, to me I'm too. I'm sure those stories will, will, will come out eventually. Let's um, talk a little bit about the players' experiences. Uh, we can pick a couple. Let's, let's start with baseball. Sure. I... I want to give the entire league and the entire field of players from all teams a pass almost this year in grading them as a player. I mean, generally, your superstars did relatively pretty well, as expected. There's some outliers. Yeah, there was some. Yeah, there was. Houston was a big outlier during the regular season. Yeah, they had. Yeah, they had some guys that didn't. They their guy their good guys didn't do too Altuve. well until Altuve they didn't. made the playoffs. Yeah, let's not talk about that. But <laughs> no, but that's an example where and they had other issues going on there, right? But they got kind of um, a break in the pandemic in some odd way because they didn't have to face the fan scorn. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Though I bet on net, I, I feel like they were doing interviews with some players that were saying, you know, even when I'm out there on the road, like I like the fans there. It's part of the. It's part of baseball it's what they've done their whole life i mean right. they sit there and they're playing in front of people and that's what they're used to and yeah yeah you know either even if they're you know they would they would even say when they're on the road you know even if they're jeering you that's it so that is it is it a, is that a component when you look at we, we if you really dive into the numbers then are providing we come back and we slowly come back to norm, normal next year <laughs> sports wise will they look at this year how how will they look at this year um from a well, they're, they're they're trying to have as normal of a football season as possible. So yeah. I've got to figure that if football kind of holds the course, and they've had a few test cases here and there, but by and large, as of this taping, they're kind of hanging it together. Right. So Steelers got postponed. Uh, anyway, Ten- Tennessee has some issues. So, right, but by and large, you know, it's um, they haven't had to shut down the season yet. Anyway, yeah. so I've got to figure that come February, whoever wins the Super Bowl will probably be felt that that was somewhat normal so long as we continue on this path of having the games and everything you the know baseball can't feel that though 60 doesn't games, feel that way not when no you let fans. not when you let the 16 teams into the playoffs yeah. and having really really short series houston shouldn't have been there in the first place <laughs> <laughs> you know i think i think everyone's kind of going through the motions and people like to see baseball and i think when it's done we're going to say well we had this really unique tournament in 2020 and that's who ended up kind of hoisting the trophy but 2020 was a unique year and there's it's, an it's asterisk like, there. Huh? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they'll still be the World Series champion. I don't think they would put an asterisk. I think everyone's... That's what I think is going to happen. You know, I think that's going to happen with education, too, this year. You know, we're doing everything we can, teaching and, and, and everything, and the students are really, um, really resilient, to be honest with you, and everyone's given it the good college try, no pun intended. Um, but I think people are going to look back, whether it's employers or graduate schools, I think they're going to look back at this academic year and be like... You know, you took these classes and that's good and I'm glad and sure you retained some stuff. But, you know, if it comes to GPAs or scores and stuff like that, this was just a weird year. Yeah. We all went through it. We understand that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you see a student, you know, 
A is A minus is B plus is A is A minus is B plus is all in their transcript. And then they have this year, you know, and they got some C's, let's say. You know, it's just, it's, everyone's doing the best they can, you know, yeah. everyone's doing the best they can. And, um, but it's not uniform for academia because it happened in, in March. Right. No, no, I, I know that. I just, I think with sports and I think with academics and I think with a lot of things, you, people, you know, when did, you know, that happened in 2020. Okay. We understand. Well, I this. hope that's where we get to. That, yes. means, that means we've healed as a country. Yes. Then, yes. Right? So I, I think people are just going to take a lot of things with a grain of salt. And so for the baseball season, I think they're going to do that. Um, hockey, hockey was interesting. I mean, they let in a bunch of teams, mm-hmm. <laughs> though the Sharks even still didn't make it. Um, and had kind of had like a playing round, I know, but mm-hmm. they still Ten's had a bounce first round. Yeah, I think they still played seven game series all the way through, mm-hmm. though. So that that even felt okay. I I don't really follow the NBA too much, so I'm not sure how people are are taking that right sort of situation. It's right. just it's um it visually it looks strange. Now, some people say to me the on television the NBA looks not too bad. To me, when I see it. Because the fans are right up on that court, right? It's have odd they, not seeing them there. Because have they decided it for the NBA or the NHL? Because usually they're ramping up to get started their next season, and the NBA is still not done yet as of the time we're taping this. I hope they go back to a normal schedule. Well, they'd have to start in like a month. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean. But eventually, you're going to have to make that correction. Like, what are you going to do? Just run three or four seasons this way, and then? Well, I, I mean, know. I guess what they could do is just run <clears throat> another abbreviated season, and then start for a new one in 2021. But they don't want to take games away. That's revenue. They're not doing right. that. Right. That's the problem with moving the season forward. And they talked about that in football, didn't they? They were going to. There was talk about moving the college season forward. Yeah, yeah, there was. Um, I know it was on the table at some point to do it in the spring, which wouldn't be. I mean, the weather would be cold in a lot of places. But it's not like those stadiums are getting used for anything else. I mean, right. the logistics of it, everyone would be kind of off kilter in terms of training. Mm-hmm. But everything's kind of off kilter as it is now anyway with all the right. protocols and the testing and all that. So, right. yeah, well, um, I don't know. I, I, You know, when, when all of this happened and then they announced they're going to have these brief playoffs, you know, to kind of – because people want sports and it's – No you know, question. We need it's, it. It's, it's Yes. And it, it's helping people think about other things. No question. Which is good. No question. Um when I thought, I'm like, no one's going to take any of this seriously at all. And people are taking it a little more seriously oh, yeah. in, t- in terms of the championship and the winning yeah. nature of people it. People want to win. They do want to win. <laughs> I just, you know, I think the question when we were talking before was, well, how much how much stock are people really going to put in this NHL thing when we invite 24 teams yeah. and we do all this? And it's like, yeah. well, in retrospect, people were kind of happy Tampa Bay ended up winning at the end of the day. So that's they kind of have this sense of they, right. they went through all their growing pains and now they've finally won their Stanley Cup because they've right. been pretty good for a while. And I, people seem to give them more credit than I would have thought they would yeah. a couple months ago when we were talking. So well, that, that, that city may have a pretty good year here if, uh, if the Rays kind of pan out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I know um, the Tampa Bay Lightning are really very well attended down there. They draw really, really well because mm-hmm. um, I think their stadium is downtown. Mm-hmm. Whereas the baseball stadiums all the way, I'm, oh. I'm sure you've been down there, but the stadiums like yeah. all the way over in St. Petersburg, I yeah, think, yeah, which yeah, is just yeah. a hall. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was, because um, people go to Tampa Bay football games pretty, I mean, NFL games are pretty well attended regardless. Right. But I got Brady now to draw. <laughs> that's true. I forgot about them Gronkowski too. Yep. Um, yep. 
Because everyone always says, oh, Tampa Bay is a horrible sports town. No one goes and sees the Rays and they're good. It's like, well, the Lightning actually draw really well down yep. there. And they, they would think that if they... Hockey in Florida draws well. Yeah. Go figure, right? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't work in Atlanta. <laughs> They've won a couple Stanley Cups now. I think Tampa Bay has. Right. Um, right. Yeah. No, they... Uh, they um, they, I think what you know, there's always talk. You know, the A's and the Rays are like the two teams that need new stadiums. And there was talk of if Tampa Bay was going to get a new stadium, they would, they would have to put it downtown because that would that would that would draw immediately really really well because mm-hmm. it's a fun team. They're like the A's. I mean, they're a fun team to watch. They're young. They're well run. Right. Um, they're pretty innovative in how they kind of strategically throughout the game. Right. But no one goes, and you can't like I don't want to drive half an hour to go sit in that stadium. Well, I want. I want to end the show in a while on on those two teams in particular. So you kind of beat me to the punch. I want to talk about small market teams sure. and some effectiveness of, of how that happens because obviously it's not happening in Pittsburgh. No, not yet. <laughs> uh, not, well, not yet. Not yet. Um, but before we get there, talk talk a little bit about how difficult it must have been for bookmakers and odds makers this year on all four major sports because the in, the variable was how are these players going to react in this environment, even the ones that were in the, especially the ones that were in the bubble environment. Yeah. Um, I know. So last time I was here, I, I was talking about kind of uncertainty and how, at least in my research, um, you could leverage uncertainty in certain situations to find like profitable wagering opportunities. Right. And I think I must've mentioned something last time where it's like, wow, the uncertainties through the roof here in baseball would seem like the underdogs would be really, really good to bet on. So I haven't run the numbers, but there was an article uh, like a month ago. It was still during the regular season that on one Sunday <laughs> during the baseball season, there were 13 games, I think 12 favorites won. So <laughs> oh, really? So <laughs> much think, for that I theory. I think my yeah. prediction <laughs> crashed and burned. <laughs> that was just one But there day. wasn't any home field advantage of any real significance, was there? Yeah, I mean, it's worth, I'll have a student go grab the data and, and can, I mean, can just run the numbers. The season's over now, and so all the data are yeah. out there. Um, I'd be curious. I can report back next time I'm here. Yeah, um, absolutely. Have, have a student track that down and and see because the theory would – that's unfortunately not a whole lot of games because usually we like to have like tens of thousands of games and this right. is only going to be what? Absolutely. 60, 1,800 lines. So, I mean, it's better than nothing. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I can't do anything about that. I can't have these no, crazy – I can't make 40 crazy pandemic seasons oh, so I have a good data set. No, no, no. <laughs> it, but like the, so the players – a lot of uncertainty. I mean, more yeah. than uh, there's uncertainty at the beginning of every baseball season. And this right. is just piled on top of it. You know, the you numbers had... are going to be fascinating. This is all said and done just to, for you, especially for yeah, yourself actually, to go back and look at. Them. Markets are very, very strong and very, very efficient. And so, while I would like to think there's going to be some gold mine of mm. kind of treasure to unearth <laughs> at the end of the day, they're probably going to be pretty close to efficient, and it's probably going to be pretty close to zero. <laughs> just <laughs> don't get too excited. Well, the well the well, it's going to be so lucky. The <clears throat> argument can be made, though, they're all professionals. Yes. This is what they've been doing since they were ch- children. In the end of the day, their optics might look a little different when they're going through the process, but they're doing what they know. Right? Yeah. But yes, they, they are doing what they know. And if you could find any group of people that could best handle that, it obviously would be the professional players. But <clears throat> they had an off season, last off season. Okay, um, so who was it? The Nationals won the World Series, so everyone has an off season. Um, you've got some players moving around, changing teams, Garrett Cole and all that, right? Right. Around. Right. Spring training, right, starts up and they're doing their thing. Then shut it down, right, midway through March, and then all these guys go wherever for like what, like three months, wasn't it? About right. three months, right? 
And uh, some are, trained are they, and some didn't. <laughs> right? Are they playing catch in the backyard? Are they, you know, do they have gyms at home to work out in? Because gyms are shut down too. Are they able to still train? Right. You're trying to build up <clears throat> in spring training for a pitcher. You know, you're trying to build up arm strength for the season. So do you keep building up? Do you just like, is it like off season again? Do you wait till you get back and build? Like it's, it was something they just hadn't, no one had ever dealt with. There wasn't really a protocol for this. And so, yeah, I, you know, are some people more suited psychologically or physically for this better than others? Yeah, probably. But no one knew who or what that was going to be, mm-hmm. you know, and they came back and I don't even, did they even play any, you know, they came back and they had their, you know, their bubbled kind of camps that they did right. with their players. Right, right, right. I can't remember. Did the pirate? I think the Pirates maybe played a couple scrimmage games against the Indians. Was a couple, yeah. Maybe just a couple, couple right. to get back into game. And all of a sudden, you're throwing them out there because you got to get up to game speed. And it was just uh, the uncertainty was through the roof. So I put my flag in the sand on that one. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what the numbers have to say. The, the <clears throat> when you talk about uncertainty, there's so many factors that could be involved. And now you have a situation where there's this over overall uncertainty of just being right. in a new environment. Right. right. And I mean, it, I, just every piece of uncertainty that you'd have in normal times, I think just got magnet, like right. magnetized, magnetized right. <laughs> magnified, excuse magnified. me. Um, you know, there's always surprise teams every year. You know, Miami ended up making the playoffs. Yeah. And they were okay. Yeah. And they won a series, actually. So no one would have guessed that. It's just like, oh, that's a horrible team. There's no good players down there. So there, there's all of that uncertainty that's naturally baked into the season to start with. Okay. And then add into that all of the training weirdness and the fact mm-hmm. that players haven't gotten together in three months. And maybe mm-hmm. some of them are doing long toss. And maybe some of them are just running and staying in shape. It's just, I don't know. You know, and there wasn't even not only do we not know the impact of all the different training regimens, you don't even know what people were doing. What mm-hmm. was Garrett Cole throwing the whole time was like, I don't, I just don't know. No one. The pitching just, numbers <laughs> have to be fascinating to what, I mean, I, cause See, it seemed like the, which what was expected kind of happened though. It seems, and I don't have the numbers to back this up. It seemed to me that scoring was a little less than normal. Did you get that sense? Uh huh. seemed like scoring was less, um, Maybe the maybe it just took the playoffs, but definitely in the regular yeah, season. Yeah, right. You know, maybe it just took the batters a little longer to get caught up. You know, just up to game speed and facing. I mean, it's, you can't. You could be in your backyard with your batting cage that you have all you want. Right. You can't simulate facing these guys. I'd love to see what the power numbers are this year. I'd love it to see that. It seems to me. I mean, especially in the playoffs, especially in that A's series, mm. it was just. I mean, it's three outcome baseball. It's just. It's you know it just seems to be home run derby mm-hmm. these days. Um, which you know you may like or you may not, but it was. Um, Are they teaching that now? Is it like we talk about launch angle oh, yeah. and all this stuff? Is is to get that elevated? I mean, sabermetrically, it makes sense for people to you know it's it's become a you know pitchers need to strike people out. You know they can't score against you if they're not getting on base. You know they got to be able to hit the ball. So it's people are looking to lift the ball at the expense of maybe striking out a little bit more. So that's where the game is going. Yeah, and speaking of tactics too, I just it, wonder. It makes me wonder how someone like. Like, how would Greg Maddox pitch today? Which is just interesting to think of. I mean, I guess you could always Probably think the of same. how. He'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, so let's say they're bringing him up, and people forget he could he could, he could, get, he could reach 95 when he was younger yeah, if, if he early, needed it. Yeah, his early years, yeah. Would he have been taught to be a strikeout pitcher as opposed to, like, induce weak contact kind of a – I just – I don't know. It's just 
think, I mean, you could always think about this different eras of different players of you yeah. know, how well, they be. But it's hard though because skill sets continue to get better and better. Strength continues to get right. There's more strength in, in the swings, right? You know, he's, you know, he could get, you know, again, he could get the velocity if he needed it when he wanted it. But you know, he was, you know, more of a crafty pitcher, more of pitch mm-hmm. to soft contact. Would he have even have been identified as a top prospect these days because he's Good not point. trying to throw the ball by people? I, I I tend to think a friend of mine has got me onto this. Um, line of thinking. I would like to think that if you took the best players of any generation and dropped them in any other generation, they'd still be successful. You know, because people say, oh, baby. In Ruth. baseball. Yeah. I, I mean. Kansas in football. Well, I mean, I'd like to think that if if Jim Brown played today, he'd probably be effective. Do you think? Do you honestly think so? Yeah. I would th- yeah. I mean, do you think Barry Sanders would be effective if he played today? I, I think I feel like the very very is is what getting you about football is the physical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess what I'd say to that is, if he was if those players were growing up in this day and age, and had access to the same stuff, they Got would it. physically be able to like. Right. Clearly, you can't transplant Babe Ruth from the twenties to now, mm. right? But if Babe Ruth grew up now, and you know, I'd like to think that. Willie Mays could be successful today. I'd like to think that Joe DiMaggio could be successful today. But the pitching is the pitching better today. It is, but so are so is what we know about hitting, and so is their opportunity to be able to hit hitting like that. Got it. Like you can't just drop Garrett Cole on Babe Ruth. Like that's <laughs> yeah. I think about Jack Lambert of the Steelers be, being 195 pounds. Yeah. In middle linebacker and middle linebackers today are 270 to 280. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, watching some of those old clips, um, like watching OJ Simpson play. He's like bigger than the people running after him, and he's faster than them too. Like yeah. he was just a physical marvel on the mm-hmm. football field. And I feel like I, I don't, I didn't watch Jim Brown as, as much, or I guess highlights of Jim Brown right. as much. But I I feel like he was much the same way, just big and fast, you know. Which I mean, obviously is the name of the game in football. But I mean. I mean, linemen were 230 pounds and O.J. Simpson was 230 pounds. And he's just running faster than the smaller people down I the think field. So. I think there's going, to be all, <laughs> there's going to be some players probably based upon their success level and their physical attributes will will fit into today's. I, I, Eric Dickerson was a phenomenal, uh, statistically a phenomenal running back for a long time. Sure. But he never took any square hits. He ran out of bounds a lot. Yeah. yeah he was smart by how he managed sure. his body. Emmett Smith did much the same thing. Yeah. So. I, don't, I don't know how... How they weren't, they weren't bruisers, so I don't know how they would fare today. Yeah, maybe I'll just stick to baseball on that one. Oh, I mean, I I, I'm, I mean, I'm with you on that. Um, football is such a, I mean, it's yeah, it's the name of the game in football is to try to avoid getting clocked <laughs> as much as possible. I mean, really, <laughs> no doubt. I'm a, no doubt. you know, I grew up a 49ers fan, and whenever they're on, I still try and right, watch them. Right. And that was the thing about Joe Montana, he, he just never really got squared up and hit that hard. Well, in the very playoffs. rare, the playoff came, he got blasted, but yeah. um he was really good at kind of avoiding hits. Jerry Rice was really good at kind of, I'm not saying they never got lit up, but you know, if you could get lit up, you know, people, those running backs, I remember they've had interviews and I mean, my God, these huge people just slamming you. I mean, just, Play after so it play made after play. Barry Sanders amazing. It made Walter Payton amazing. Yeah, Payton would dish it out as well. Some as running would. back in the last ten years was doing an interview and he's like, I, I, he goes, I get in, I get in sixteen car wrecks a week or a year. He's, like, I feel like I've been in a car wreck after every game. Just brutal. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just crazy, unbelievable. The punishment there. Um, it's it, it. Yeah, I'm not as much into football as I used to be. Right. Um, 
but it's it's yeah, it's a lot of punishment. And I'm trying to I'm trying to think at what level because I like I mean I like watching college football, I like the pageantry of it and stuff, mm-hmm. but. It, it, I, I feel like after watching the NFL for a while, I think it did wear on me just watching people get hurt and people get hurt and people get hurt and people get hurt, you know? Right. Whereas I don't feel like I saw that as much in, in college. college, maybe. I mean, the NFL, man, it's it's like every other play. Yeah. These are huge yeah. people. Yeah. What, and, a, what about the, the, the betting? How does the... How's the gambling work? The differences between the NFL and college football. Um, Player rotation happens a lot because they're in and out, right? In, in terms of like they're here for three, four years, they're gone. Sure. You get Montana; he's in there for twelve years. Well, right, and... right, right, for sure. Um, I mean, now you see in college to see more like coaching franchises, if you will. So like. Saban's at Alabama, and that's like kind of the franchise there, and he just keeps Got bringing it. the people in. But he's kind of like the linchpin there. Okay, Swinney at um, Clemson. Okay, right, and then um, I think it's Ryan Day is at Ohio State, who kind of took over for Urban Meyer. And right, you see, kind of these; those are kind of like the franchises that I see, kind of the stability of it there that you would see with the players in the NFL. And then just okay, so you just interchangeable I mean? parts because the NFL is kind of college like football is recruiting. I mean, that's what that's the name of the game is recruiting. Okay. It's the only game. I mean, look, you know, there. So you've got several programs that are getting all the really, really good players, right? Mm-hmm. That are focused on going to the NFL. It's like baseball, <laughs> right? You get just a couple programs that get the really, really, really good players, and they're right. the ones you see: right. the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Georgias and the you know the Oklahomas and the right, not West Virginia. Um, <laughs> you know, all these big teams, and you know, I, that's kind of how I view it as more of a, it's, it's the coaching and the, and the coaching infrastructure is kind of the franchise as opposed to the actual pieces that are on the field. As I would say it's more the opposite in, in the NFL, whereas it's, you get kind of those, those players and they become kind of the, you know, big Ben's been the quote right. unquote foundation or a big important part of the yeah, team yeah. for, for a while. Um, I, that's kind of how I, I see college football. But creating the wagering, there's, how how does that look? The variables are just different because the, innately the leagues are different, right? Uh, yeah, I mean they the the actual wagers themselves are still the same thing. I mean it's still point spread wagering. Yeah, and you can do um you know there's money line wagering on that stuff. But too the books, for, I mean how how hmm. they model the hell out of that stuff. I mean they okay. that was my question. They're I guess pretty good at figuring that stuff out um pretty quickly. There's I mean there's a big big incentive to make sure that you do. Right, because if you have, if you don't figure it out and your lines are off, there's going to be people out there that know. Got they're going to. You have a big profit incentive to make certain that you're understanding what you're offering lines on. Does the lack of fan participation or the new environment that we're in right now? How does that blanket get thrown over all of that data? It, or is there is there a, a blanket over top of that? Um, I mean, if I had to wager a guess, it would be. I mean. Again, point spread wagering is kind of what rules the roost in, right. in the NFL. Right. I mean, I you might see maybe line. I mean, this is data. We can just go and look this up. Um, I, I might see point spreads maybe be a little um, not as extreme. So instead of Alabama being favored by forty five, it'd be forty. That's how I would think uncertainty <laughs> would play out there. But um, you know, they set the lines, and if they see a lot of movement on one side, then they adjust the lines. You know, accordingly. I'm not saying they're trying to get equal money on both sides, but right. you know, they're they're responsive. I mean, they're figuring it out too. But it's a big incentive on both sides to try and figure it out first, mm-hmm. right? There's definitely a big incentive on both mm-hmm. sides to try and figure it out first. But mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, the I you know, it'd be interesting. I have not read anything about 
wager like how much up or down is wagering on NFL games thus far okay. this year. Um, I've not read. I don't know. I should look into that. Actually, I've not looked into that at all. Um, you mean the volume of money? Yeah, spend? just our, like if we spent $40 billion wagering on the NFL last year, are we on pace to hit 40 this year? Are we on pace to do half that, twice as much because people have nothing else to do? Like I don't, mm. I, I just don't know. My sense is that it's down a bit um, because my sense is that wagering in general is down a bit. Um, you know, people aren't going to Vegas to go do this stuff. People, well, so, but on the other hand, we're having a lot more states that have sports wagering now. So it could right. be a lot more is being wagered on like apps and stuff as opposed to in person. Could be. I just have to look. I, I, I really, be. it could be. Some of either. these teams are letting the wagering happen at the events now. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Um, if we, we talked about that, where was it? I sent you a note at one point that was saying, was it the Browns that were looking to set up a, I think it was a Browns. window. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I mean, what these teams need to figure out, and we talk about this in Sports Econ too, is whether wagering is going to be like a complement or a substitute to the actual games themselves, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the, the NFL and these teams have a lot at stake to figure this out. If it's an a, integrity issue too. There could be an integrity issue, right? But if it's a substitute, right, the teams are going to want to try and keep that away. Because I don't, you know, we want people coming to the games. Okay. If you're either gambling or coming to the games, I want you coming to the games and buying my tickets. Absolutely. But if it's a compliment, it's like, wow, I would really, I'm not going to go to a Browns game. But if I can go to a Browns game and then maybe like, ah, bet on how many touchdowns Mayfield's going to have this or whatever. I don't know. It's like some wager you could have. Wow. I'd really like, that sounds fun. That sounds fun, right? So if it's a compliment, then they need to encourage that. And I think that's kind of whatever they're looking at, they think it might be. You know, it might be a compliment. It, it so it would operate like a racetrack up there. I don't know the nuts and bolts of how precisely it would operate, but yeah, there'd be some sort of presumably window with someone that's taking wagers and they, you know, I, I would think, I would think the way more things are going, they would want to promote maybe like a Cleveland Brown specific app for wagering mm-hmm. as opposed to having like a physical window that's manned by someone, or maybe it's both. Um, because is the window if you, needed if they're that's the thing is if you could just do app. it right if you just do it with the app then it, the the money's already in there and the payoff you could just but set I've it. seen they're putting betting windows in some of these stadiums now it's crazy think about if if we had this conversation even twenty years ago oh, it would ago. it would yeah. sound like hearsay yeah not even like are you kidding me sports the, are the NFL endorsing gambling in any capacity yeah. Or it major was really, league baseball? Um, yeah, it was really, um, <clears throat> you know, it was very, um, it was not okay for commissioners to even mention this, right? Because of, you know, the history generally for baseball, I think, is where everyone gets spooked from this idea of, of gambling, getting in and ruining the integrity of the game. Right. Um, so even bringing it up was just like, I'm not touching that with a 30-foot pole. Like, they're just, right. they're just staying away from it. And I think right. it was, I think it was Adam Silver of the NBA that really started talking about it and looking into it. Um and then, of course, the the ruling in um, by the Supreme Court in New Jersey right changed everything. Now, yeah, if there's um, I would say at this point, so there were different states. So, like we could we could sports wager um, in Pennsylvania, but you can't do it right now in Ohio. Different states had different. So you have to, the legislature has to pass like a bill to like make this happen. It's just the Supreme Court just means it wasn't right. legal anymore. All right, right, right. So. Different states had different legislation in different stages. I think Pennsylvania had their like bill kind of ready to go in anticipation of that ruling if it went a certain way. Okay. So that ruling happened. They passed the like it was like by camp not by camp it was um bipartisan like it was right. passed it it was fine right 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 and so it kind of got the process going pretty quick in Pennsylvania. Other states weren't quite at the ready 
to the degree that Pennsylvania and some other states were. So we're heading down the path of, I would be shocked if any of the 50 states didn't allow it or didn't pass something eventually. We just have different states at different stages of like kind of adopting it. Um, mm. But yeah, no, they do it here in Pennsylvania and just, you could live bet during sports games. You know, what's the next batter going to do? What's, yeah. you know, what's the next play going to be? Things like I remember that. when, um, I guess it was early 90s and before the NFL games at one, even before probably the pregame shows at noon, if you went to some of the other cable channels, you would see these independently run infomercials from these these sports experts, and they'd give you the lines, and you get the total, and you get the, and it was so novel and so kind of cheesy, and to think that, but it also had this feel where we've people, come from then, though. I know, no, absolutely, and it also had this feel of like sketchiness too. you know like it had this <laughs> it was of, great it, i know and i mean so you said even 20 years ago you said what if you know you, know, you talked to 20 years ago eric right and you said in the year 2020 you could be able to go to a football game and just gamble on it right there straight up at a window and you would laugh at yourself right but even you don't even have yeah. to go that far even in like 2020 you said on espn and the like crawler on the bottom wagering all over it all over it espn's giving you all the lines for everything you'd be like there's no way they do that they're right. not getting involved with that it's amazing like oh just i tell my sports econ kids this i'm sure i mentioned this last time i was here but just in the in the in the eight or ten years i've been teaching sports econ at duquesne even just in that time the embracing of gambling because i remember um i always have a section on wagering markets because it's a good way to understand efficiency and and it's right. just it's good and it's data driven and it's I, I think it's good for the kids to work through that stuff okay and i remember the first time I taught sports econ, let's say 2012, let's say somewhere in that range. And I remember going into class and giving that lecture and the students are just like, like we're, we're talking, like we could be talking about this. It's like, they're just, they're just markets. They're just uh -huh. markets. That's all they are. It's uh -huh. okay to talk about this. And so then they finally right. loosened up. But I mean, they, I mean, they're in, in the classrooms at Duquesne, they all have a crucifix up on the wall and they're like, <laughs> look at that. Like, I don't think they're going to, you know, <laughs> it's okay. Real little version okay. of touchdown Jesus. <laughs> That's right. In all the classrooms. <laughs> yep. The uh, no, but to be fair, I've I've never gotten any any flack from anyone for talking about wagering markets right. at all. Whether it's you know, um, Duquesne's been fine about anything I've researched or ever taught. To be honest, they've been nothing but supportive. Uh, well, it's it's gambling is you know going back. Try, we try not to use that word. How do you use yeah, wagering? Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> try but, to use when they, well, but when you play, <laughs> well, so are you wagering when you buy a lottery ticket? Theoretically. Absolutely. Yeah. Same sure. thing. That's the same when you're buying insurance. Yeah. Or not so, buying insurance. So gambling's for Uncle Vito down the block when he wants to. He opens up his little book gambling's and writes down. Gambling's when, you, when you're throwing the craps. That's gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Wagering is That's fair work. enough. I remember, I remember uh, being a kid and watching Howard Cosell, Dandy Don, and I want to say it was, was it, uh, Tony Kubek. Was that the original? Baseball. Was that the original lineup for Emma? I don't Monday go back that far. Uh, Seventy-one was the first year, right, or something like that. I'm I talking mid seventies. Okay. Now. So, so who was it then? It was Dandy Don. It was, uh, oh my, it was not Michaels yet. I don't think it was not Howard Cosell. Cosell You're Dandy gonna know, Don. I'm not going to know this one. <laughs> Dandy Don, and there was a quarterback, wasn't there? What's the name of him? Oh my gosh, yes. I thought so. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Joe Namath. Was it Namath? So it was Namath. Yeah, Namath, okay. Dandy Don. And it, it was, and I'm, the game was between the Browns and somebody. 
And, of course, the name is out of the three. He's the one to say, well, if they get that touchdown there, there's going to be a lot of happy people tonight. I remember he got a lot of trouble doing that. That was the first time as a child I recognized he's talking about the over-under. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? It's amazing just even to go back and see old broadcasts. Do you remember when they found that um, that tape of Game 7 of the 1960s World Series and Bing Crosby's? No. Like, What's this? Wait, back up, back up, back up. This is like... To like 10 years ago, eight years ago. Okay. Bing Crosby actually lived, had a house in the Bay Area. He was part owner of the Pirates. I didn't know this until all this whole story came out. He was part owner of the Pirates and was during the 1960 World Series was evidently, I'm going to probably get some small details wrong, but the general gist of the story is correct. Um, he was really superstitious, so he didn't want to watch the 1960 World Series. So he was like out of the country in I don't know, Paris or something like that. He was out of the country, but he had people at his house in Hillsborough in the Bay Area. Okay record the game so we could watch it after the fact when he came home. All right. And it was on some old like cellulose, you know, real thing. And he had it and I guess watched it whenever and then put it in like his wine cellar. And if he hadn't done that, that cellulose breaks down after whatever, but the right. temperature was so perfectly controlled that it was still like legit. So they found this tape of game seven of the 1960 world series. And they made like a whole big show of it. I can't remember. You don't remember oh, this. I did not really? see that. No. That major league baseball network rented out the biome. And they brought, yeah, this was like eight years ago, 10 years ago. They went out to buy them. They like showed it live for the first time. They brought back like, you know, all sorts of people. But it's funny because it's the actual broadcast and the announcers. That was a 10 to 9 game, by the way. That took two and a half hours to finish, by the way. Yeah, go, go figure. So that's amazing. They're showing the broadcast and um, Bob Costas, you know, interspersing and they have, you know, people like Mazeroski's there. So, anyway, so they're doing this whole broadcast and Clemente comes up to bat. (laughs) Bobby Clemente. Because they felt Roberto would like alienate too many people watching the game. Like we can't handle the word Roberto. Oh my gosh! It's just funny when you look at wow. I, that. Well, that's not funny. Well, but Bob Prince used to say Bobby all the time. I didn't know that, but yeah. it was right there on the screen. Like Costas talked about it, like during the broadcast. It's like How yeah, they wouldn't that? say. That's crazy. So it's yeah, it's um, it's something to see. You know what social norms are across right. now how they just change yeah. over time because yeah talking about gambling in 1970 i'm surprised i didn't like fire him for that yeah it was late it was mid, mid to late 70s and there yeah. was a reference that and, and, and namath could have been you know drinking a little bit on the air we, we have no idea you know, <laughs> i think, I you think know. we do have an idea <laughs> <laughs> so well before you go today i want to talk a little bit about and really kind of try to vet this out and get your thoughts and it's a broad question but it's it's it gnaws at me every year around this time of the year <laughs> What is the secret from some of these small market teams to thrive in a structure which is not geared for them to strive? It's interesting. Um, I mean, to a degree now, baseball has almost people always, you know, the, the lament over the last, you know, say the 90s and the 2000s. Oh, like, well, just the Yankees or the Red Sox. They just go buy everyone and they go and they win, right? Like, just like they go buy everyone. Mm -hmm. And over the last handful of years, what's starting to emerge is even those big teams, and they do spend a lot on salary, I understand that, but the importance of having cost-controlled talent is pervasive even amongst big market teams and small market teams. What do you mean? Uh, the Dodgers, right? So mm-hmm. the Dodgers has certainly have signed some free agents and, you know, have extended people and kept people around mm-hmm. for certain, right? But, I mean, every year they're bringing up, I mean, you've got Bellinger and you've got Gavin Lux and you've right. got, it's just like, and Dustin May and I mean, just like 
all these young guys, right? That's also complement, you know, having those young controllable players allows them in light of the luxury tax, right, out there allows them to pay some people, you know, a market rate that's going to be really right. high, right. but they've got cost control over like the other third of their roster. And, you know, it was, that wasn't always the way that those teams operated and how they were run, but teams like the A's and the Rays have kind of always had to find cost controlled talent and develop that and, you know, be strategic. And when you could flip players for additional prospects, it's just a... Mm-hmm. We were talking before we started here. It's got to be like Billy Bean must just love his job so mm-hmm. much because short of that, it's got to be exhausting. Just, it, but not not exhausting, but just it would seem to wear you down after mm-hmm. year after year after year after year of seeing teams develop some good players and then sign them to extensions right. and then they stay around and they play and then they have you know a good chunk of a career somewhere and that's what they do. Whereas that can never be. You you can't really do that. Right, like so. so on, like Chapman's, on the a, Chapman's an example. Simeon's going to be the same way, right? Exactly. I mean, he's it's going to be someone. He's a good player. He was he was like last twenty nineteen. He was in like MVP discussion. Right. He didn't win, but like he was right. good. He was very good. Right. And it's got to be frustrating at some level, somehow at the end of the day, that you <laughs> you don't have you develop these players. You develop them, and you don't. You just don't have. You want to be able to sign them and keep them, but for whatever reason, and maybe say the owner's cheap or maybe, or whatever, like whatever the reason is, that's just not on the table. Mm-hmm. And you see, you know, the Dodgers are just churning it out right now. You know, I mean, you have to be impressed. Mm-hmm. You know, they go, so, okay, yes, they went and traded for Mookie Betts and signed them to a big extension. Okay, that's not something a lot of teams can do, but it's not like he's the only player there. I mean, right. they're just bringing out every year. Right. right. You know, so the money goes beyond, as, so the, the money, and this is where I think the average fan doesn't get it because it's too easy to say that the big money is there to, to, to buy the high-priced veterans. That luxury tax, though, is is doing – it wanted to be a diversion to teams just spending $200 million a year, and it has been a diversion. It's been a diversion. Um, you are seeing teams now in the offseason, when they are up close to that threshold, they're stopping. And they're, they're planning for cost control in the future, right. and they know where they're at and who they right. can sign. So it's working. If 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 work is we don't want people spending above this amount, they've created enough of a diversion to get teams' attention. Well, that goes teams against will, free markets, though. <laughs> oh, this is this is a whole, this is a whole private league. This isn't the government getting involved. I understand. No, 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 I understand what you're saying. But, um, but from a competitive standpoint, I mean, European soccer is not that way. That's not exactly true. But um, there's you can see a much bigger disparity in spending across European soccer. I'll say it that way. Okay. Um, there are financial fair play rules, but they're kind of relative to how much money you bring in versus like you can't spend more than this much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's a diversion. I mean you GMs. Oh, maybe I'm not sure GMs can ever use that language, but people that are analyzing these teams, you know, like the Cubs, um, they have been talking about whether they're going to trade Chris Bryant or not. Right. And you're like the Cubs. That's a big market team. They're up against, they're mm-hmm. up against the the threshold. You know, like that's it's, it's making them have to. You know, it's not an just buy everybody. Threshold, isn't it? No, no, it's clarified. It's like if you spend oh, they, more, they clarify it every year. So if it's if it's if your if your payroll is, um, oh, if and if it's a full season, obviously not a truncated season. It would, it's like two hundred and eight million dollars, okay. something like that. It changes year by year. I'd have to look at the most. How recent. much is that tax that they go over? So it's um. I should have looked this up before I went. It is something to the effect of um, the first year you go over, it's like 20% 
of of the amount that you go over. So if you're okay. over by like 10 million, you pay 20%, so 2 million. Okay. If you go over for a second straight year, it's like 30%. Third wow. straight year, it's like 40%. For, those numbers are not exactly right, but it's, it's an increase in scale. I know the top, if you go over like three years in a row, 50%. So what you hear about these teams doing is resetting the tax. Got it. Get that one year where you're under there. Got it. You know, they're happy to pay, you know, let's say you're, you know, a little bit over one year, maybe pay $5 million in tax, whatever. Just like a little bit over and then you're back below. It's really not that big a deal. But if you're over and over and over, I mean, that starts hitting. Builds. Yeah. The Yankees, I believe, had gone over a couple years in a row, so they wanted to get back down. It's just this idea of the Yankees being cost conscious or it's, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's humorous a, to think it is, of, but it is humorous to think it about. does make them operate their franchise in a way that to get back to your original question that like the A's and the Rays have kind of been having, that's the only way they can compete is by right. doing that is by fine, finding hidden gems and by but exploiting market inefficiencies. But to they're try nowhere and get near that 200,000 number, the 200 million. Number no, 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 no. I, I understand that, but it's, it's just this idea that, I mean, teams, I think I would teams can't be successful anymore completely ignoring their farm system. Right. So right. there are times, um, so like the angels, their farm system is just like depleted. Mm-hmm. There's just like nothing there. And, and you can't be, you need, you need cost controlled assets on these te- You just, right. you do. And they just, they're just uh, trades and bad signings and, you know, maybe not drafting terribly well, just all those things. You just, you have to have a functional um, player development program. And I think at the end of the day, that's what led to the pirates clearing house was okay because they weren't drafting necessarily poorly. But like we said, kind of before we started, let's look at this Yankees race series. Garrett Cole started the first game and then glass now started the second. Charlie right. Morton started the third. These are an Austin Meadows is hitting home runs down there. And we're seeing, you know, I think management, or the owner finally got tired of seeing, you know, it's we they we have acquired assets that are capable major league baseball players and then some mm-hmm. that don't end up doing terribly well here, you know. So I think the idea was, you know, got to get people in that can, you know, proven to be player development specialists, and that's what right. Sherrington was in Boston. Right, he was out of there before they actually won the World Series. But Betts and um, Jackie Bradley and all those guys, um, Benintendi, all those guys for um, the Red Sox that kind of was the foundation of them winning the world series a couple of years back in mm-hmm. 2018, I think it was, um, th- those were all Charrington guys that they brought in and developed and right. Yeah. So that's what the pirates think they're getting with this guy. So optimistic, be optimistic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's hard to be optimistic as a pirate fan or even a casual, <laughs> a ca- casual pirate fan. They're fun. Do you, how many games you go to a year? Roughly uh, ballpark. Five. five. Not many. Usually yeah. it was like usually it was with my kid. There was more when he was younger. My kids love going to those games. They think it's great. They like being outside. Um, fresh air running around i could sometimes i can get them to watch half an inning sometimes i could <laughs> sometimes i can get them to watch a little bit yeah. usually if you just take them over my kids are still small enough you just take them over to the bullpen they'll like throw you a ball generally every game yeah yeah which um, is good because you can't get foul balls anymore because they roped all remember the oh. screen they screened everything off yeah so i wonder that's an interesting i didn't think about that so that's like the only place to get a game ball anymore is to just go to the bullpen and have them throw you one do you think there's going to be some weird COVID rule that when we do have some fans in the stadium, they're not going to be able to keep the balls. <laughs> I'm trying to think. So I sit right. Behind I don't know. Home. I mean, I sit. I sit right behind home plate, and I don't. There's obviously a screen right in front of me. Right. I, 
I think there's a screen on top of me too. Not all parks are like that, so there might. But it's getting really hard to get foul balls just for safety, and I understand. Where yeah, you're I do too. With that, I don't have a problem with that. Were you for or against that extra screen? Um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of bull. At the end of the day, it really doesn't bother me that much. Um, because I used to sit down the right field line, like a couple rows from the field, and there were a couple screamers that came, and it's like, I'm always amazed when people would reach for foul balls with their bare hand. I'm like that. Just had that. Just or even when they catch it with their bare hands. Even to be honest with you, that's it's amazing to it's me. It's something. It's um, amazing to me. No, I, I don't have a problem with it. I I do. I don't know. I just what I've always liked about baseball is just like you're there at the park and there's you know you may be sitting a little bit away, but there's really nothing between you and the fans and or you and the players. Sentiment. It is, and I've I did catch a foul ball a couple years back. And that's really was a very fun memory. Um, and I also had a outfielder throw me a ball. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, mm-hmm. that's not something you're never. I caught have. Jeffrey Leonard's home run. Did you really in '87? Nice in the playoffs. It, it, it was uh, a three-row stadium. I was in uh, left field, and I was in the, was the general mission seats right above the uh, the wall. Well, up that above was the, the wall. No, that wouldn't have been the playoffs because it was the Cardinals and the Giants that year. In the it was playoffs. eighty. Yeah, it was Pirates. Pirates was, were starting to build their team with. Uh, that was the year he hit all the home runs, though, wasn't it, Jeffrey? Yes, Leonard? it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and it, it was the weirdest thing. I remember sitting there, and he hit, and I, I, I was with my buddy. It was an evening game. We were baseball fanatics. Yeah. When he hit that ball, I knew it was coming to me because <laughs> it was like you're playing catch. You're like you know batting practice, and I was. It was like I was down the field waiting the ball to come to me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing's that's coming. wild. And I, I, it took two hands. It didn't hurt though. And, really? and I, I was like, I caught this ball. And I mean, well, I don't think anybody was watching, <laughs> but it was. Uh, How many beers in were you? Yeah, I a couple. I was in a couple, but I did catch it though, and I, I still have That's that impressive. ball. Jeffrey Leonard, double zero, double yeah. zero, Giants. That's yeah. right. Yeah, he, night game, left field. I think eighty-seven. And I was yeah, in, he was he, popular. He was in a the right Bay fielder, area. I think. Yeah. He, they called him Penitentiary Face because he always had a mean look. That was his nickname, <laughs> Penitentiary Face. That was, and he had this mean look on his. He always had a mean look on his face constantly. And I'm going, Penitentiary. Yeah, face. that's. They said that's that on a, ESPN. I'm like, you got to be kidding that's, me. That's, that, that's a nickname in the '80s that wouldn't work today. <laughs> no, no, no. But that's they were laughing about it because so, he always was mean looking. Always. He was. Yeah, Jeffrey Jeffrey Leonard. Huh? Jeffrey that's Leonard. Nice. That's a throwback. Yeah, it's a throwback. That's a guy. That's a throwback. <laughs> I, I, I just. I, my overall question to you was, though, do you think it's it's not the the crystal ball thing, but you can have the same amount of payroll in on two teams, two cities with their own unique baseball struggles, Pittsburgh and Oakland, but different results. Sure. And it again, well, I mean, the casual nice thing, thing I mean, is we're going to buy free agents, we're going to sign free agents. No, it's not about doing that. It's developing a farm system and being able to coach them, right? Yeah, I mean that's where baseball has kind of found itself these days. Maybe in a decade, it'll you know the model will be different and, and success will be there. But now, okay. again, it's it's all about it's cost controlled talent with this stuff, right? It's being able to have players that I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but players that you could pay not that much money for three years and then a little bit more, but certainly not open market, right, with their arbitration and all that. Yeah. But yeah. It's it's about it's about cost control. And then if you are, you know, in a situation where you can't supplement in the open market, can or won't, you know, A's, Pirates, Rays, you know, there are right. the teams that really don't go out there and spend a lot. Um you gotta get creative. You know, you gotta you you need to you know, you need to make Trades like the Garrett Cole trade to try and acquire assets. You need to make trades to try and, you know, get. That's just that's. If you're not going to spend, you got to get creative in other ways, right? To try and compete. So and the Pirates involved in that big trade with. with I mean, t- they did it well for. They had a window there where they. Yeah. You know, they, they built up and Huntington built up and they had you know what they oh, had. Only two years maybe. Right? 
I mean, they made the playoffs three years in a row. Okay. You got to realize over those three years, okay. they had the second most wins in baseball. They I mean, did. They, they were, you know, they did. But that's what that model has to look like. They supplemented a bit in the market. They didn't spend a lot, but they brought in, you know, they they would make some trades here and there. I mean, they traded for um, Marlon Byrd and that Justin mm-hmm. Marno that one year. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Happ. They went. Right. I mean, they they went and got. I'm not saying they went and traded for you know, <laughs> Joe DiMaggio Jr. and right. like paid him nine hundred million dollars. Right. But, they did okay. They brought they in the moves. Um, they were moves. The guy from Korea they brought in that was good for yeah, a year. Yeah. Kang, um, right? Called him Kang, Gung, right? Yeah, <laughs> Gung. Um, <laughs> and you know, McCutcheon was you know there, and they flipped him for Brian Reynolds. By the way, people let's yeah. not forget that. And yeah. I think Crick was part of that deal too. So, I mean, they're they're doing what they can. Right. It's just I always back to the Billy Bean comment. It's just man, I feel like I feel like the Dodgers can swing and miss on prospects with a little more leverage than the smaller market teams can. Like they've done a remarkable job bringing up these young players, mm-hmm. but let's say a couple of them didn't pan out where they're still like, they still have the, like they're still there. Whereas I just feel like the margin for error on those smaller market teams is just, no question. you know, I mean, you could, if we want to talk about people like to say the Chris Archer trade was a bad trade. I'm not here to say it's good or bad, but people can at least in retrospect say that was probably kind of a whiff because he didn't do that good for us. And the players down there are doing a little bit better. Boy, you know the Dodgers make a trade like that. Eh, like, I'm not happy we made the trade. Right. But boy, the Pirates they can make a trade. recover. They can boy, recover. Boy, that's a that's a t- you know that's a that's a tough one to recover from. It's just your margin for error is just so much smaller. But I think you have to enjoy, just from a whether it's a management perspective or a sports perspective or whatever perspective you want, can enjoy and appreciate what the A's and the Rays do right. every year, year especially year with the A's in the yeah. same division as the Angels. Because the Angels spend a shit ton of money I know. and are horrible. And, it's good and, have, the best player, and, the and have the best player in baseball. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, the, I was thinking about Trout as you were talking earlier. The odds of seeing that kind of develop a player, superstar player, once in a generation, your top five players in your generation, oh, and yeah, retain them, and retain them, yeah, is not something the Pirates, Oakland, Tampa Bay are going to be in a financial position to do. So right. the Angels are one of the yeah one of the few teams that they can do that it. Can yeah actually do it and offer them you know a contract that he's actually going to sign. Dodgers can do it. Dodgers can do Yankees it. Yankees can do it if they would ha- if they would actually have the patience to bring someone up like that. Red Red Sox could do that too. Yeah. Um, people forget the last couple of years the Red Sox have been up at the top of the payroll list. Um, I bet with the new ownership group, I bet you'll see the Mets probably start doing that as uh-huh. well now that they got the um. Who bought that? Was it Cone, the hedge fund guy? So the, anyway, so the Mets just got sold. So I'd be willing to bet they'll start spending a little bit more. Because remember the um, who was it? The Wilpons that owned the Mets previously. That yeah. they just sold it. Like yeah, 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 yeah. But they got messed up with the uh, Madoff stuff. Uh-huh. So their finances were always like, you're like, uh-huh. why is this New York team not spending money? You're in New York. Well, that that was kind of a unique situation. <laughs> but I bet they'll probably start spending more now. I don't think they avoided spending. They just they didn't weren't like not as not up to the level that the Yankees were. Major League Baseball, how is it structured as an organization compared to the NFL? The in, in, is the NFL an entity that's that holds each of the teams very tightly controlled, whereas Major League Baseball is more hands off? There's these these two leagues which used to operate even more autonomously. Sure, and it, it just it just seems like to me the teams are more independent in baseball than the NFL teams are independent to the NFL. Is that right or wrong? Um, I, yeah, I'm not super on top of the NFL. I do know, 
you don't send, tend to see as much of a disparity in spending in the NFL, if maybe that's what you mean. In well, terms there's a of, cap, right? There, There is a cap, and just you don't see, at least at the numbers that I've looked at, a lot of teams generally approach the cap in the NFL. Like, they kind of are up near the cap. Maybe there are a few million here or there, but, like, they're up there. And in baseball, you've got a couple teams that are up near, like, 200 million, let's say. Okay. But you don't have – I don't think you have teams in the NFL that are spending, like, a third – Right. I think they're mostly the spending difference. more. So I don't difference. know if the NFL kind of lays a heavy hand to say, like, you need to spend a little more. Um, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, Baseball won't do that, though, huh? No, not not to that degree. I mean, I know the Pirates got flagged. The Pirates and the Marlins got flagged for not – there was um, – Major League Baseball sold the um, – I think it's called the pitch track system. They sold it. That company that sold it, and anyway, teams got a whole like a one-time like chunk payment of like fifty million bucks each wow. for this. Yeah, the pitch wow. track. Yeah, it was a lot. Major League Baseball, and so the teams got a one-time payment, and they were supposed to windfall, whatever. It is. Use that maybe it's twenty-five million, but supposed to use that money to increase player salaries. Like there was a directive from Major League Baseball to do that, and there was a grievance filed. I know against the Pirates, and I think the Marlins for not doing that, or they they didn't. Follow they those. Give the money, <laughs> right? Obviously, I mean, it's not like you just turn around and drop twenty five dollars on someone or twenty five million dollars. There's, you know, maybe you're supposed right. to use a certain amount, but it was designed to be used for player salaries. And the pirates were got cited or <laughs> grievanced or whatever it was for not for not spending that. Money. That was a couple of years ago. They have been able to push back at all attempts of putting a salary cap in baseball, huh? Um, the union has been able to. Yeah, um. Yeah, um, I mean they've they've got the luxury tax threshold. That seems to be. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure teams that want to spend more money don't want to have to pay the tax. But I I don't really hear a lot of people calling for a salary cap in place of this kind of luxury tax threshold. Okay. Seems to be like I, you use the phrase it's it's working. I'm I I don't like using that particular phrase, but it seems to be having the desired effect. And I don't see either side bitching about it a whole mm-hmm. lot. Um, when when they signed the last collective bargaining agreement, they set what that amount... I'm pretty sure they set that number for like the ensuing years that were going. And there's another collective bargaining agreement that's going to have to be signed. Is it after next season, I yeah. think? Mm-hmm. And so they're going to have to set what that level is going to be. Um, I'm sure there'll be some teams pushing for it to, to be higher and, right. and some teams pushing for it to be lower, but it doesn't... Um, I, I, I don't. I don't hear a lot of people complaining about it, so I don't expect a salary cap, and I don't think that's going to happen. The difference between the values of the individual franchises in baseball, there's a big disparity there. But I think the, the values are closer in football, isn't it? Right? I mean, do they do they operate as their own PLs so vivaciously? In football? Yeah, I would. Um, well, I, I would probably say this: the least. I would say the least valuable franchise in the NFL, which I don't know would be off the top of my head, but the least valuable franchise in the NFL would, I would say, easily dwarf the least valuable franchise in baseball. Because NFL as a whole is just a larger money machine. Okay. Um, in terms of the most valuable football franchise, I know for baseball, I'm pretty sure it's the Yankees. Um, but for football, would it be like the... Cowboys, maybe. Oh, yeah, probably would be the Cowboys. Would... I don't know offhand. Forbes does these lists every year. I just haven't, haven't right. noticed. Would the Cowboys be more valuable than the Yankees? I bet they probably would be. The fascinating thing, though, to me would be to compare how Major League Baseball runs their operation and the NFL runs their operation. How they're, 
out of their main offices, sure. how it's structured and the controls that are built in there sure, and how the I, leagues I'm, are run. And I'm sure they'd like to keep a lot of that close to the vest. Um, There's got to be some pop. differences in there. Oh, for sure. I, I, I do agree with you that the NFL does have a heavier-handed feel to it. That It, it does feel... There's a, it feels like a lot more goes through the league office in the NFL than goes through the league office in baseball. Okay. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it certainly feels that way. Okay. My friend, thank you. I, I'm, I appreciate you giving me all this time. Absolutely. No, it's fun, to, is... uh, fun to be out here and fun to stare at all the colors. <laughs> what's, what's new in here from... Is the uh, is the Johnny Rotten new? No, nope. that's all. I, got a, I had a, a portrait done by Tom McGallis. Oh, I can't see that. It's behind you. In, in <laughs> typical Megalis style. Wow, with, that with looks. My daughter and my my son that. in there. It's it's pretty freaky. <laughs> that looks really cool. Is that a local artist? Yeah, Tom. Tom is no, he's a national artist. He's based out of Cleveland. Oh, he okay. was a Pittsburgh native for a long time. Worked on QED. Oh, okay. Um, that looks awesome. Where are you gonna put it? You don't have any room. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know. It's hanging off one of your. You can hang it off one of your uh, speakers. I here, could. Right? I'm running out of wall space here, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> but this is like a. This is like a. We need uh, to knock the wall down and move. Well, one studio. Over. You know what? Uh, there's been talk, not from me, but there's been talk from other people around the studio and around the the show that we've got the neighboring suites. Okay. That we thinking about enlarging, maybe kinda, and turning the table this direction in the middle of the room and doing some other crazy things, but. Uh, I, I mean, like your setup. You know, it's um, it's quaint. It's you. It is quaint. quiet. I like it. There's a lot going on, but it's somehow there's it's simultaneously <laughs> there's simu- a lot going on <laughs> simultaneously a lot going on, but it's not distracting, which is well good. Neat. Lots yeah. to look at. Yeah, and it's uh, the optics are pretty cool. And it's funny when I have uh, two guests in or I have three guests in, and we have a full house. It's really it's it's warm. It's 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 a good time. It's really a good time. It is. No, it's very nice. But I appreciate it, Matt. Absolutely. Come back soon, right? We'll do. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the next one. Absolutely. All right. Friends, we are out.